Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, we are David and Tracy Sellers. And on November 1st, 2001, in a big... No, November 3rd. Dang it. How did I get that wrong? <laughs> and on November 3rd, 2001, in a big post and beam house, we made vows to keep. It's a good thing I have a graceful life. <laughs> About five years later, we bought a post and beam house that was sort of post and beam as a fixer-upper. And... We had just moved into this house and I found out I was pregnant with our third daughter. And let me tell you, you know, when you picture a post and beam house, you picture like this big, beautiful thing. Oh, oh, no. yeah. This house was a train wreck. It, it was, was a disaster. Now our bedroom was an open loft and there was only one other legit bedroom in the house at the time we bought it. And it was in the basement, like two floors below our master bedroom. It's a good thing we don't have that house anymore because with teenagers in the house, an open loft master bedroom just would not be reasonable. Yeah, that would not work. So this house also in the basement had a hallway that was four different colors. The bathroom didn't have a door. The bedroom didn't have a door. And the only working shower in the house was actually also in the basement. But the bathroom in our master bedroom didn't have a door. This house had three staircases. Yeah, and, and only two floors, which meant there were two going from the main floor into the basement. It was awkward. Two of them did not have railing, and one of them was this funky two-foot-wide spiral staircase that we got rid of as soon as we bought the house. Yeah, it was a waste of space for sure. And on top of that, the house was out, surrounded by cornfields, and it was affectionately known as the Mouse House because they had as much residency there as we did at first. Can you tell we have no hard feelings about this house whatsoever? <laughs> Our two children that we already had were sharing the room in the basement. There was no real bedroom for our new baby. And to me, as a pregnant mommy, like that was the biggest issue. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of things we had to fix and change about this house. That was clear. I wanted to move into a bigger house, a different house that didn't have so many issues. Now, David... He knew that financially that just wasn't the right thing to do. He had prayed through it and he was like, you know what? We're going to make this work. And as you can imagine, we butted heads over this issue big time. Now to make matters worse, while we were in the midst of this difficult decision, I found another major problem with the house right in the middle of all of this chaos. Do you know what I was tempted to do that night? You'll never guess it go to a hotel. Yes, I totally wanted to take matters into my own hands and say, you know what, I'm going to live at the hotel until we can find something reasonable for our family to live in. I remember being so scared that you would leave. That night was a critical night for us because I knew of about probably three quarters of the problems the house had when we were buying it and thought for sure I could tackle them. But now with finding new problems and having the addition of a new baby on the way, wow, what a choice we were faced with. It was a time I think both of us recognized that if you were to have left that night, it would have set a precedence in our marriage that I can only imagine how hard it would have been to recover from. But you know what? I didn't. I knew the right thing was to give this over to God, even though it was so hard in my heart. I was fighting this tooth and nail. 
I had to make a decision. Was I going to respect my husband's decision to stay in this home or was I going to try to take control? Would I leave the situation in God's hands? Now, it turned out in the end, God's way really was the best way. David did his best to remodel that place and we had a room for our baby. The major problems got fixed. David worked so hard to make that house work for us. And God blessed our marriage because I didn't give in to the temptation to run away and try to do things my way. And we learned a very valuable lesson. All those home renovation shows you see on TV and there's a, a whole channel dedicated to them. Turns out in reality, it takes a lot longer than an hour to renovate a house. I'm just saying. After four and a half years, we had addressed all of the major problems, all the safety concerns, and God called us to move out of state. And the couple that bought it seems to love it. And now here we are looking back, not only at the memories, but the lessons we've learned. What about you? What are the temptations that you are facing in your life? What are the things that feel like the decisions that you know is going to create some major heartache, some major chaos in your marriage? And you're asking yourself this question, am I going to make the right choice? Try this on for size. Are you tempted to make a short-term decision that you know is not right in hopes that it's going to pay off long-term? Recently, our pastor asked the question of our congregation this way. What lie would Satan use to get you to disobey God's truth? That's right. Today's conversation is going to be about temptations. We're going to be studying some of the major temptations that we find in God's word, looking at, for example, Genesis 3, which talks about the fall of mankind, and Matthew 4, which reveals where Satan tries to tempt Jesus. The crazy thing is that the temptations that we see Satan using with Eve and, and then again with Jesus are the same temptations that he uses on you and on me today. That's really interesting, David, because I've never seen it that way before. I've read the account of Eve in Genesis, of course, and how she fell to Satan's lies. I've read in Matthew chapter four, like you said, about Satan tempting Jesus in the desert, but I've never put the two together and seen how they line up parallel next to each other and how Satan uses those exact same things today to tempt me. Let's look at Eve's story first from Genesis three. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. So here's what she did. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. In this multi-part series of Vows to Keep Radio, we're going to be talking about the three temptations that Satan used in the garden, that Satan used with Jesus, and that Satan uses with us. And the first one is called the temptation of the physical. So what we're talking about are things that are tangible, things that are visible, things that are a part of our world. And they start through stories just like what we see in Genesis. You see the devil comes to the woman and he asks her if God really said to her that she's not to eat from any tree in the garden. So he's, he's twisting what God said on purpose. He's trying to make it so that God does not seem credible. The woman 
rightfully responds, right? She says, well, no, it's, it's not that it's, it's only the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's the one that we can't eat from. And the serpent says, well, ugh, come on, you're not going to really die. And Eve did something right then and there. She saw that the tree was pleasing to her eyes. That's where she goes from thinking about it and listening to those lies to eventually turning it into something physical where she eats of the fruit and of course gives it to her idiotic husband, Adam. <laughs> I'm glad you said that and not me. And because they sinned, they were kicked out of the garden forever. Here's what I want you to think about right now. Their sin separated them from God. They basically went from being on God's side, following what God said, doing what he asked, being in perfect relationship with him. Now, all of a sudden, Satan has grabbed them over to his side. And if you think about what sins maybe are temptations in your life, do you realize that there are many of them that have extremely tangible physical implications? God still loved these people, right? He still had a great plan for them, even though they were sinners, but there was consequences. As we'll talk about later on in these broadcasts, God, even in their sin, had a plan in place to redeem them, redeem us, to bring us back to himself, even in the midst of that sin. And that's something we can praise God for today. Let's look over now into the story of Jesus, where we look at Matthew chapter four, the devil came to Jesus after Jesus had been fasting, not eating for 40 days. Can you imagine wow. that? Matthew chapter four, starting in verse one says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Think about that. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was fasting for a reason. It was for a purpose. It was to be with God. And so often I think we have that same kind of desire. We start with that same kind of purpose ourselves. Out by himself. He's really prone to attack at this point. I think Satan can get us in that place of temptation as well. When we are isolated, especially within our marriages, it's like we're a prime target. And Satan showed up with Jesus and he shows up in our life as well. And he tempted Jesus, first of all, with something physical, something tangible. He tempted him with bread. He was probably pretty hungry after not eating for that long. And he says, basically, turn these stones into bread. It's interesting to parallel these two accounts. Both Eve and Jesus were tempted, yet one falls into sin and one doesn't. Why is there a difference? What do you think was Eve's main problem? What left her open to the schemes of the devil, but didn't expose Jesus in the same way? To sum it up, she couldn't distinguish the truth from the lies. Although she could verbalize it, look what her actions did. You see, the fruit was good. It, it looked pleasing to her. It, maybe it even looked powerful because it had the ability to make all of humankind enlightened about good or evil. I don't know, but God's word tells us this in Hebrews chapter four. It says that he, referring to Jesus, faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus said no to sin and instead depended on the power of God that was within him. Instead of human strength and human wisdom, God Instead of human strength and human instead of human strength and human wisdom, Jesus quotes the word of God to Satan. And he quoted it straight out of Deuteronomy and he quoted it straight out of Deuteronomy 
chapter 8. It says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives from every word that comes from the, from the mouth of the Lord. Take note of a couple things here. First of all, Jesus knew that scripture right away. He didn't say, oh, hold on just a second. I've got to grab my phone and, and find the verses that apply to this. Maybe it's Proverbs 12. No, maybe it's Numbers. No, he's got it right away. He knew right away. And then notice something else. He didn't go back and forth and, and waver in his mind about what was right or what was wrong. He knew it was right. He didn't give it a second thought. And he made the choice to react in the way that he did. Jesus did not let his desire for the physical, in this case, that food, that hunger, distract him from the spiritual element of what was happening right then and there with an eternal perspective. Even in that moment of temptation, Jesus remembered something that you and I need to remember every day, something the Bible reminds us of a lot. This world is temporary and the spiritual world, heaven, that's what's eternal. The things that we can't see are what are eternal. And this is so crucial in his decision. The temptation of the physical things of this world are a distraction from what really matters. Get this today. Jesus saw that the consequences of falling to that physical temptation of the world would mean that there would be no holy redeemer for mankind and that God would no longer be perfect. If he would have sinned, we wouldn't have a savior. He was definitely keeping his eyes focused in the right spot, just like you and I should as well. Jesus is willing to not have what he wants right here on earth knowing it's just a blink of an eye so that everyone, including himself, could enjoy it in fullness later. Think about that in context of the choices you are making. Think about that in context of the marriage that you are fulfilling right now. What is Satan tempting you with lately? What temptations can you set aside so that you can focus on the things you should be, not only now, but into eternity? Okay, David, so let's bring this to our daily lives. Okay, for me, it's complaining. That's something I can say no to and choose the right thing instead. The temptation to complain and try to get my own way or even the lie that I fall prey to that I'll feel better if other people know just how miserable I am. Temptation to eat too much sugar or junk because I think it'll make me feel good. It may for a moment, either of those things might but they don't ever deliver on their promise. We can see that Satan's lies never deliver by looking through the rest of the Genesis account. It starts in verse 14. The Lord says to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field, you're going to be on your belly. In verse 15, it says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you that you should not, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat all the days of your life, thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you are dust and to dust. You shall return. Isn't it so ironic, David, that the things Satan promised were the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve actually got in the end. 
Think about this. Satan promised pleasure if they followed his way, but instead now the woman is going to have pain in childbirth. The man is going to work the ground in pain. Satan promised life and they got spiritual death. Satan promised knowledge, which he said was going to be power for them, but their new knowledge gave Satan the power over mankind. It didn't give them power. Here's the punchline. Satan never delivers what he promises. And sin is the exact same way. We're promised one thing by the devil, all the temptations that he wants to throw our way, and we get something horrible instead. Before we go on today on Vows to Keep Radio, let's ask the question, why would it have been wrong for Jesus to turn the stone into bread? Was that a sinful thing? Let's go back to the story that we opened up with here today. As I was talking about the house we lived in, all the things it needed, I wanted to move into a different house with a room for our baby. David said, financially, this is where we need to be. Let's stay. Let's stick this out. Let's make this work. So Satan was trying to convince me that if I did something bad, I would get something good. The bad thing wasn't finding a different house. There's nothing sinful about that. Turning stone into bread wasn't a sinful thing in and of itself. But if Jesus had done it, he would have been obeying Satan. That would have been the sin. That was the temptation. My temptation was not to buy a different house, but my temptation was to disrespect David. Why should we be talking about temptation in our marriages today? Why does what we're talking about here matter? I think there's a few things that you can draw from. First of all, you know that there's going to be temptations that are going to distract you from what really matters in your marriage. They're going to distract you from what God is asking of you. And the temptations often are centered on what is a justifiable thing, but with an ungodly consequence tied to an action you know that doesn't glorify him. If Satan started his tricks with the first two humans on earth and was gutsy enough to try it on God himself, know that he's going to try it on you as well. All of us have been tempted to do something, to get something, something we can touch, something that we perceive will bring us satisfaction, making your house look just like that Pinterest pin, turning to pornography and isolating yourself from your spouse, something you know isn't right and isn't for your good and for God's glory. Here's a personal temptation I can tell you about in my own life. Last year, I gained like 15 pounds and my skinny friend had invited me to go to lunch with her. And I was tempted to not go because in my pride, I didn't want her to see me, how I had fallen to the physical temptation of eating too much. I would have missed out on an opportunity to bless her and an opportunity to be blessed by her if I would have continued to turn down her invitation. Now, in order to not fall to our enemy's tricks, we've got to know God's word, just like Jesus did. We've got to be armed with it. Listen to Ephesians chapter six, where it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We are to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. God's word says is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, because we know that we've got to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, which is every day, we'll be able to stand our ground. And after we've done everything, we can still stand and we can stand on the firm foundation 
of God's word. So we've got to know scripture. We've got to know what God is telling us to do in these times of great temptation. Remember how Jesus came against the enemy when he was tempted. He used an exact quote out of God's word. And the really cool thing that we have found through all of the years of counseling that we've been doing within Vows to Keep is that there is always a scripture that applies to every situation that we are in. But we've got to know what scripture applies to the situations we're in as we're in them. It's a little bit like when we were in school. You remember that all a long time ago, Tracy? Taking tests in history class. And they said, what's the third president of the United States? If you're asking me to answer that right now, I have no idea. But <laughs> James Madison? <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> John Adams? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right. A quick Google search. And I find it's actually Thomas Jefferson. And this actually plays completely into the point we're trying to make. We sometimes treat knowing God's word just like this, like it's useless trivia that doesn't really matter. But the fact of the matter is, if when we were learning it, we never really committed, it is important we need to store in our heart, it's not there in those critical moments when we need it. In order to know what scripture applies, you've got to know God's word. We've got to be just like Jesus, able to quote something from scripture in our mind and preach that to ourselves. I guess that is if your name is Tracy Sellers. In my case, I just learned the meaning. I learned the intention and that sticks in my head. Can't quote much though. You see, Jesus didn't rely on his own strength. He relied on the power of God and we can do the exact same thing. We've got God, the Holy Spirit in all of us that have accepted the Lord as our savior. The only other option is that we can choose to fall into the temptation, but you know what? Your lives are going to show the difference. Jesus thought in advance what he was going to do when the temptations came. And I'm going to ask you to do the exact same thing. You see, Jesus had been 40 days in the wilderness and he, his goal in that was to focus on God, nothing else. What do you think that would come from you focusing for 40 days on just the Lord? If you hadn't eaten through all that time, would Satan's ability to tempt you be high or low? You know, I think in many ways I'd go crazy in a situation like that. So we've got to be like Jesus. We've got to give the time, even though our lives are busy, we've got to plan the time in advance so that we are ready for the devil's temptations. Being a busy guy, I often don't think I've got the time for that. But think about the time you burn in recovering from temptations. Think about the waste. Think about how, the, how expensive the recovery is when we fall into the temptations. Husbands, I'm going to ask you to write out everything you did from the time you woke up to the time you fell asleep throughout this last week. When you've done that, take some time to look back at what of that is wasted time. Where could you insert learning God's word into your life? Wives, I would say the same thing to you. And then take a minute and come together and talk about where is it that we could be more diligent in reading God's word together. If you're not already daily reading the Bible, what can you set aside in your life so that you've got the time to read what God has to say to you? In conclusion today on Vows to Keep Radio, we want to reiterate that we read God's Word. We study God's Word. We are called to commit God's Word to our hearts so that in the face of temptation, the temptation that you and I both know will come, it'll be God's Word that comes out of our mouths against the enemy's lies. It'll be God's Word that we stand on, on a firm foundation when all around us is crumbling. It'll be God's Word that motivates us to choose His way over the enemy's way 
and our lives and our marriages will benefit as a result. Join us next week as we wrap up this two-part series, How to Spot Temptations, Pitfalls in Your Marriage, as we look at the next two lies that both Eve and Jesus encountered from the enemy, the same two lies that you and I will encounter in our marriages as well. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.